Today we take a look at a new form of tyranny, and it could be cemented in place if the dangerous bill in front of the U.S. Senate is passed. Welcome to Culture Shift, The Barry Ferris Show. We are living in an American culture that has shifted from tolerant to cancel culture, from decent to rude, from optimistic to cynical, and from relatively safe to increasingly violent. But it's not too late. I hope to equip you with a historical framework applied to current events so you can lead and get America back on track for good. Hey, welcome back to The Barry Farrow Show, Culture Shift. Today, we're going to take a look at a new form of tyranny. If we don't stop the dangerous H.R. 1, S. 1 bill sitting in the U.S. Senate right now, this tyranny could be cemented into place. What is tyranny? Well, simply put, tyranny is control. It's the control of one person over another. In a relationship, tyranny is when one person's abused, manipulated, and under the control of another. Tyranny can happen at work, too. I've always coached uh, young people when they get started out in their career to work hard and basically do whatever your boss wants. But I've also coached them to decide in advance what their personal freedom boundaries are. In today's bizarre world, some bosses make you chant in a group or otherwise express sentiments that you don't believe in. You'll need the courage to know when to recognize this and the skills to find another job if necessary. As you gain more experience, you may be asked to be on the board or a committee to help advance some cause that you believe in. It's important to know what you're getting into. For example, find out if you'll be given the authority to fulfill the responsibility you have. What are the rules for how the board is governed? Does the chair micromanage everything? If so, you can determine if the good of the cause is worth it. These are examples of circumstances where you have some control, whether or not you want to be in a particular relationship, a job, or a volunteer group. But what about the big things that impact everyone? Big government, big schools, big tech, and big media seem too big to influence. But you know, big government was never supposed to be a thing. The constitutional structure was designed to keep government limited. The USA was founded on the notion that we, the people, would decide how we'd be governed. This was to be largely handled at the state level. So if you don't like what one state is doing, you can vote with your feet and move to another one. This keeps a nice, healthy competition in play. The U.S. Constitution gave the states a lot of power. This was established to limit the power of federal government. The Constitution also separated powers by having the three branches of government. Some of the founders called them departments. They argued that the legislative, executive, and judicial departments of government must have the power to get things done, but also have a cumbersome element to them to keep the U.S. power structure in check. States' rights and power for the states was set up to effectively, in the aggregate, equal power at the federal branch level. And so what this does, in some cases, like setting the rules for elections in individual states, the states actually have a superior power to the federal government. This is a brilliant system establishing a tension that would help protect the United States from falling into a tyrannical system. It's the bad system that's plagued a lot of human society for centuries. Our nation, though, was founded by people who knew how bad previous tyrants had been. And these past tyrants have done really horrible things. I mean, they've exercised their power over others to control, limit, abuse, and punish people who don't have power. And really, this country was established to basically say, we don't want tyrants here, and we're going to make it so that they can't exist. Tyrants came in many different forms. 
Their abuse was not limited, though, to the average citizen. Even powerful and influential people in society could be at the whim of a tyrant. I mean, when they spoke out against the tyrant or tyranny, they could become the victim all the way up to their death. A great example of this is Cicero. You know, every founding father knew the whole story of Cicero. He lived 60 years, from 106 BC to 46 BC. He was a lawyer, a philosopher, and an exceptionally well-respected public figure. But he was beheaded. Why is that? Because he expressed his opinions about Mark Antony. In several public forums, he said that Antony was a tyrant and that he should be stopped before he came into full power. Later, when Antony came to power, he set out on a path to get rid of his enemies. And guess who was Antony's number one enemy? Cicero. Now, Cicero was a really popular, beloved, and brilliant person. He articulated the human soul's desire for freedom when Rome was a republic. You could say he was more popular in relative terms than pretty much any talk show host you can think of or any podcast host you can think of, but he wasn't just a talk show host. He was a statesman, at, and this was really at the end of the Roman Republic. When they killed him, they killed the Republic. I mean, it happened fast. Right after he dies, 20 years of struggle, and after that, it's emperors all the way. The Roman Empire gets started in 27 BC with Augustus. Now, back to Antony. So he hated Cicero a bunch because Cicero used his freedom of speech to expose the truth about Antony. So when Antony came to power, he started this campaign called proscribing. This was when government leaders identified an enemy of the state. It was followed by a public official certificate, and that that set things in motion to confiscate property. It culminates in a fake trial and then to death by execution. It was a great way to permanently get rid of your political rivals, kind of like how big tech censors ideas today. I mean, if you don't agree with them, they censor you. So, so far, they haven't done this uh, by physically executing anyone, though many have lost their livelihood and their reputations. So back to the emperor. Once the emperor ruled, Roman Empire got cranking along. This label applied to a variety of groups and individuals that tyrants wanted to get rid of. This prescription label was applied everywhere. So the Christians in the 19th century China were proscribed. The Christians in 1860 in Syria who were massacred were prescribed en masse. The public executions during the French Revolution resulted in 16,594 mass murders in a period of months. This reign of terror followed the prescription model. Well, back to Cicero. So Octavian had argued for two days against Cicero being added to the list of the prescribed, but Antony was really ticked off at him and he wanted Cicero silenced or prescribed and he prevailed. So once he got Cicero on the list, that triggers everything. And then there's this official certificate, which then kicks into a hunt for the person who's prescribed. So they hunted him down for quite some time. They couldn't find him. I mean, Cicero was so well-liked that the average Roman citizen refused to report that they had seen him. He was finally caught on December 7th, 43 BC. He gets executed. They cut off his head. Antony was still mad at him after his head was cut off, so he cut off his hands. Cicero had made some comments that embarrassed the ruler and his wife, Fulvia. Fulvia was so mad at him that before his head was hung up on the rostra, she took his head and placed it on her lap. 
She took off her hairpin, opened Cicero's mouth, and jabbed Cicero's tongue with it. She wanted to make double sure he could never speak again. That's how much Antony's wife hated Cicero's power of speech. This is how much she couldn't bear his ideas that were contrary to hers. This is how tyrants roll. They become barbaric. They don't like the debate. They're horrified of ideas that are different than their own. The debate reveals that they're unilateral, bossy, and controlling. There are many dozens of bad stories of tyrants. I mean, there were cruel, mean tyrants centuries before Cicero and every century since. The Dark Ages are dark for a reason. Tyrants do vicious, awful things to limit and destroy the personal liberty of their enemies. Now, in the olden days, they'd steal your daughter, your wife, your goat, your son, and your dignity if they were mad at you before taking your life. So in classical education, this history related to tyrants was taught. Classical education teaches that one of the great ideas of Western thought is that tyranny is bad, that people should be treated equally. In fact, the classics discuss the various methods of tyranny from a historical, religious, and political perspective. At the end of the day, tyranny is the worst corruption of government. It's a violent abuse of human beings. Tyrants like Alexander the Great and Attila the Hun are evil because of the indiscriminate carnage resulting from their horrific execution of those who do not obey them. I mean, they slaughtered people without remorse. Machiavelli explains in his Discourse on Livy that tyranny is evil even if the person obtained their power legitimately. And he was right. Witness Hitler. People voted for him. Witness the big biz and big tech and big gov consortium. They may have gotten their power legitimately, but as a group, they're acting tyrannically against those with whom they disagree. They might not be physically executing them, but they do everything else they can to destroy their lives. And in addition to all of the obvious things just discussed, tyrants are really bad for the average citizen economically. I mean, the average living wage is much lower under tyrants than in free structures of government. That's because tyrants are always after your private property in some form or another. Under tyrants, people are treated unequally and there's no real due process. Witness Big Biz blocking Justice Thomas's film with no explanation. He's a conservative justice on the Supreme Court. You block his film? He also happens to be black. His life story does not fit with that Big Biz narrative. You know, the Founding Fathers understood all of this. They, they Not big tech, but they wanted an arrangement in the Democratic Republic of America that would have built-in checks and balances. They wanted a country that would be a republic, and they wanted it to be hard to be a full-bore democracy. The reason for that is they didn't want tyranny by the majority. That's why small states like Wyoming have two senators, just like a big state like Florida. All in all, the founders did a pretty good job in the U.S. Constitution to set up the infrastructure to avoid tyranny. The U.S. has experienced severe tests, though, in its almost 245-year history. That is, if you start with 1776. I suppose you could say that our freedom-based experiment has lasted as long as the average superpower. Some superpowers lasted much longer, but the average duration of a superpower or empire is 245 years. I'm just hoping that we'll treasure it more so that we don't lose it, even though we've touched the average, that we'll go much beyond that because of an appreciation for how we were established uniquely, 
with freedom and in opposition to freedom. You know, not that long ago in the scheme of the world history, the U.S. Civil War took place. And what was that really about? Abraham Lincoln represented the discipline of freedom. And though it was horribly costly, he was a great leader. He was the first Republican. He defeated the Democrats who represented and fought for the tyranny of slavery. Our nation survived and lived on. In the early 1900s, the 16th Amendment allowed the federal government to tax its citizens, and this was really a shift from the state to the federal government, and it changed the dynamic. Up until the 16th Amendment, the concept of the federal government remaining limited was nearly universal. Debates were around how one would go about the business of the federal government while keeping it limited. After the 16th Amendment, though, the boundaries changed. It really kind of opened the door for many who were inclined this way to believe that the sky is the limit on a big federal government. And not long after that, under President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, known as FDR, this really was tested. Yet the nation survived, even though injured, with more federal overreach than ever envisioned by the founders of the Constitution. Since FDR's overbearing leadership, no one with any real ability to change things with real power has seriously contended for a return to limited government. The Tea Party had a moment, but the power structure they appealed to didn't really support meaningful limitations. They would have had to limit themselves. And the First Amendment power of the citizen to petition for a redress of grievances against the government itself has been neutered with political immunity laws. These circumstances, in addition to all the Supreme Court rulings that took place socially governing from the bench, chipped away at limited government, and it kind of laid the foundation for today's big biz, big schools, big tech, big media, in lockstep with many Democrats to undermine the U.S. Constitution. I mean, they effectively are shaping a California-style one-party rule system for the whole country. In the past, a tyrant was an absolute ruler, unrestrained by law. Roman historians, when it was a republic, spoke of those tyrants as those who were in opposition to liberty. Now the tyrants are a powerful consortium. You know, note, note from our last episode how uh, in school these young people can no longer freely speak about their traditional classic conservative and Christian beliefs. In fact, they've been bullied, doxxed, and harassed. Not, not that long ago, I mean, we enjoyed this foundational respect for one another. We might have disagreed, but we could respect each other, and we certainly would allow freedom to just promulgate whatever you believed. Now, in less than a decade, we've nearly lost freedom of speech in this country. I mentioned uh, the HR1, SR, S1 uh, bill at the beginning of this episode. And in the previous episode, I detailed all the reasons uh, S-1 is not constitutional and how, if passed, it will ruin the republic. So it's out of the House and it's in the Senate. So right now it's called S-1. In short, S-1 allows Congress to cater even more to their wealthy donors and less to the average citizen. It allows congressmen to increase their own pay from campaign funds. You don't think any bribes will happen there, do you? It shuts down the ability to donate to a cause without being exposed, bullied, and potentially fined, canceled, doxxed, or fired. It makes D.C. a state. I mean, that's a violation of the unique standalone federal jurisdiction that it was set up to be. It changes the bipartisan Federal Election Committee to become a partisan weapon. S-1 abolishes voter ID laws. 
I mean, this defies common sense. You, you have to have a valid ID to fly commercially to get auto, health, or life insurance, and a plethora of other things. You should be able to demonstrate a little personal responsibility to vote. I mean, you should be able to provide your ID. But by far, the biggest problem with S-1 is that it strips the states of the U.S. Constitution's electoral power and hands it over to the federal government. If S-1 goes through, it will cement a whole new level of tyranny. I mean, in the olden days, tyrants would force obedience through brute force. Now we see how big tech and big biz and big government and big schools and big media cooperate to control you as well. They may not be physically cutting off your head or poking your tongue with a hairpin, but they can effectively shut you up. The only hope for stopping this new form of tyranny is by honoring our U.S. Constitution. Here the concept of states' rights is a check against the federal government having all this excessive intervention and power. And as has been explained in detail in previous episodes, the Constitution is explicit about the states' rights to control elections. A federalized and centralized approach to voting weakens the republic, and it puts too much power in the hands of too few. The bottom line is that H.R. 1, S. 1 makes it easier to cheat. It's a comprehensive bill that gives too much power to the most extreme Democrats, effectively setting up the structure for a one-party rule system. Think California nationwide. The U.S. Constitution in Article 1 and Article 2 gives explicit power to the states to run elections. As explained in the Federalist Papers, the idea was to prevent tyranny by majority, tyranny by a few, or tyranny by a minority. If the federal government takes over control of elections, it could lead to a form of tyranny that makes the current censorship, bullying, firing, and doxing look mild. What can you do? Well, for starters, you can contact your U.S. senators and tell them how you feel about S-1. To your success, and that really depends on your freedom. God bless you. Hi, I'm David Farah. Thank you for listening to my dad's podcast, The Barry Farah Show, Culture Shift. Click subscribe now to be sure you don't miss an episode. Share this podcast with your friends on social media and give The Barry Farah Show your five-star rating. Check out today's show notes below this episode and at theberryferrisshow.com. This podcast is also available in video format at The Barry Ferris Show on YouTube. See you next time.